I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Brad Kepler. You're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. It's springtime here on the East Coast of the United States, and with all this sunshine comes something else. Baseball and birds. Brad, you and I both grew up in Maryland, and it is so common to see people sporting something Baltimore Orioles related, whether it's a hat, a jersey, a t-shirt, you name it, they have it. But do you know what's less common to spot these days? An actual Baltimore Oriole. I'm talking about the bird. They're black birds with a bright orange breast, and their populations are declining across North America. Yeah, their population has decreased by almost 50%, and that decline extends far beyond the Baltimore Oriole. We set out to understand what this means for the environment and how tracking bird populations can intersect with the cloud, open data on AWS, and sustainability. All right, so let's dive right in. But before we get to the birds, we need to understand open data. And the expert on open data at AWS is Jed Sunwall, our global lead for the open data program. Ray chatted with Jed to understand what open data is and what it allows researchers around the world to do. Open data generally is data that is free for people to access and use for whatever purpose without any kind of you know, monetary compensation. You don't have to pay for the data. You don't have to ask permission for it. And a lot of governments actually are required by law to make their data open. So the argument is that taxpayers are often funding the programs that the governments use to produce data. And therefore, the data produced by these programs should be available to, to the public. This includes things like weather data, traffic data, data about roads and bus schedules. There's also a lot of scientific data that fits into this category including even genomic data that's been anonymized that's available for, for research. How does the cloud fit into this? How was this data being shared previously versus now? Yeah, the traditional way of sharing data is you put data on a server somewhere. It could be an FTP server, or you could have a, a web-based data portal where people can come and download data. So if you want to get data that's been made open, you can download it. Now, what the cloud allows you to do is, is it flips the data flow where instead of asking people to download data so that they can access it, you can allow people to turn on computing resources in the cloud and take their computing resources to where the data already is. Another way to say it is that the traditional way is to have people move their data down to where their algorithms are. The cloud allows you to move your algorithms to where the data is. Practically, what does this mean? Faster time to science? Are there any other benefits of open data? So yes, this has a huge impact on time to science, and it has a huge impact on the cost of science. If, if we're talking about, let's say, a, a terabyte of data, so a terabyte, that's 1,000 gigabytes. Most people would take about two days to download a terabyte of data. So a lot of researchers, if they're confronted with, let's say, a terabyte scale data set, they have to figure out, how am I going to get all this data? With the cloud approach, they don't have to think about that at all. They don't have to worry about storing their own copy. They don't have to worry about downloading it. If they've got a question, they can just ask a question much more quickly and much more cheaply. The fact is there's a ton of data out there in the world, environmental data that governments are producing. We have an agreement with NOAA, for example, which is the Weather Administration here in the United States, where we work with them to share massive volumes of satellite imagery that they produce, as well as weather radar data, weather forecasts. And what's locked up in this data is an understanding of our world, and like you know how our world is changing, what are the things that, that might be impacting the way the world is changing? What we're trying to do is make it really easy for scientists to ask questions of these data sets. One of the really great things about opening up data is you get this diversity of perspectives on it. 
So when we started opening up data with NOAA, for example, we thought we were just opening up weather data, you know, and, and especially this weather radar data, we just thought, well, that's just weather radar data. It's used to track rain and things like that in the atmosphere. But it turns out that when we made it open, there were researchers out there that had, they saw something completely different in the data set. And there were these ornithologists that realized they could track birds in, them, in, in the data. And that was something we just never would have seen coming. And I really think the, the power of open data comes from the diversity of viewpoints that you can get when you make data more openly available. Just to echo something that Jed said, the magic of open data really comes when researchers begin to dig in and use publicly available open data sets to fuel new research. Cornell University's Lab of Ornithology, that's the scientific study of birds, uses weather radar data to track bird populations from the 1970s to present day. To understand more about why birds matter to us all, not just to researchers, I chatted with John Fitzpatrick, director of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, to get to the bottom of why we should pay attention to what the data is telling us. What we do here at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, we basically place hope on the wings of science. We recognize that the more information we can gather, the more precisely we can dream up ways in which we can change our behavior. You recently co-authored an op-ed for the New York Times, and it was titled, The Crisis for Birds is a Crisis for Us All. Can you help us understand what is the crisis and why does it impact the everyday person? Birds are, uh, are a unique organism uh, on the planet in that they have a huge amount of power for us as people. They teach us how nature works. But much more important and much more immediately important, they are extremely sensitive ecological barometers. Their populations go up and down with the condition of the habitats around them. That's always happened naturally. But as humans have changed the nature of our landscapes, uh, what we've done, either wittingly or unwittingly, is we've changed the rules out there so that bird populations are showing us things about how the natural world has been changed. And in many cases, of course, they've gone completely extinct for reasons that we've brought about in their world. Where it's much more interesting and much more important right now are all the places in which bird populations are changing for reasons that we don't quite understand. But once we figure it out, we can actually adjust our own behavior and get back more into balance with the natural systems. How many birds have disappeared or what are some of the trends that you are seeing that set off these alarm bells in your mind? So we have a, several different independent data sets that allowed us to calculate what the bird population has done over the last 50 years. And to our significant worry, North America has lost about 3 billion birds net from 1970 to the present. That's about a third of the birds that were here just 50 years ago. And it's these declines in very common backyard ordinary birds that are of particular concern to us because it means we need to look at what we're doing to the world that is causing these uh, declines to happen. From 1970 to the present, technology has changed a lot. Why are open data and the cloud and AWS so important to this story and your research? We are very strong believers in open data. Uh, our own project called eBird, which now takes in more than a million checklists from birdwatchers around the world, uh, we make those data publicly available worldwide. In the case of AWS, making the, the enormous amount of data that became available when the United States put in the uh, NEXRAD weather radar system, 
has allowed us to actually dive into the extreme detail of day-to-day movements of migratory birds during especially the spring and the fall migration seasons. So we can actually look back through time for beginning in the mid-1990s, take that right up onto the present as a result of those data and the availability of those data in the cloud to ask some really pretty penetrating questions about how our world has been changing. We could never have dreamed of doing that 25 years ago. It's springtime here in D.C., and that means millions of birds are making the harrowing journey returning to our backyards during this migratory period. Some of our visitors in the trees might be making their way back all the way from South America. Bird migrations are often hidden from us, and that's because for most birds, they migrate during the night, way up above our heads and above our field of vision while we're asleep. Adrian Doctor is a researcher at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, where he studies the migration of birds. His team works on a tool called BirdCast, which is powered by AWS Open Datasets. Adrian grew up in Holland near the dunes. As a child, he watched masses of birds flock overhead during migrations. And this started a lifelong fascination with the movement of these special animals. So a lot of the migratory birds in the US, they migrate to Central America or even to the Amazon in South America. What happens to them and, and their population trends and, and how, whether they are doing well doesn't only depend on what happens here in the U.S. It also reflects very much what happens elsewhere on the planet, uh, from the, from the, Arc, the high Arctic all the way down to the tropics. All these little critters connect these different places. That makes it a very fascinating and also very complex system to study. And so BirdCast is a platform that, uh, of the Lab for Ornithology that we use to bring these observations of bird migration to, to the public. And the reason that we do that is that actually most of the migration doesn't happen during the day, but many species, actually the bulk of species, move at night. And they fly at one, two, up to three kilometers altitude outside of our view. So you need a tool that covers the whole U.S. and also can look at night. And therefore, what a really useful tool has been for me is, is the, um, our networks of weather radar. It's a treasure trove that we have been starting to explore over the last few years. Having the live view of how birds are moving from a day-to-day basis can turn into actionable things that anybody can do. Turning off your lights, for example, so that birds aren't attracted to it or running into windows, things like that. And it works also the other way around. So like sometimes birds are also a danger for humans. And you have to think, for example, in the applications in aviation or first responders with uh, helicopters that fly very low. There's a, in certain peak migration day and nights, there is actually a risk that you collide with, with a flock of birds. So once if we know and we can see the birds in the night sky, then at least maybe you can fly at a different altitude it really can save lives also to know uh, when birds are migrating, lives of birds and lives of humans. Where does open data on AWS fit into the picture of your research? One challenge with the radar data is that radars, they spit out an enormous amount of data. The radar network in the U.S. has been sort of archiving its data already for 25 years. It used to be that we were going through these radar images by hand. And now we have developed all these tools and methods that do that automatically. And we, we can sort of make workflows that, that get rid of the rain, identify the birds, estimate their speeds, and do that for all the radars in the network at the same time, and more or less in real time. And now with the cloud, I can grab thousands of nodes at the same time and to crunch through all these archives of radar data and do the biological extractions, get the bird densities and speeds. It was 
absolutely not possible only a few years ago. You're starting to explore migration forecast tools. Why will this be important, not only to the birder community and larger research community, but to the public as well? It's, of course, nice if you can look at uh, the birds real time, but also for important applications like aviation or lights out campaigns, people want to plan ahead. And you have to know a few days in advance when the birds are coming. So we're we making these uh, the prediction tools. You can then predict a few days in advance whether, whether there's a big migration wave coming or not. And that allows us to plan ahead and, and respond to it. If you could leave our audience with one thing, if you would want them to know one thing, what would that be? I just hope that people will, because it all happens at night, get a little bit more familiar with this really spectacular phenomenon of bird migration and also realize how birds are connecting our our place here and place elsewhere. And I hope by people seeing this spectacular phenomenon of migration on the radar, that they also maybe step out at night someday and listen in the night sky and hear all these little chip notes of migrating birds and realize what a spectacular phenomenon this is and, and how important it is actually to conserve it. And I think that's, that's what these tools and visualizations can do. Make something that's a little hidden, you, you get a personal connection to it. That's so important for conservation. And it's just a reminder like how big data tools and big data sets, they might seem abstract and very, uh, very technical, but, but it actually relates very much to what, what's happening out in the world. Birds moving from one country to the next and one continent to the next remind us of how intricate and connected the entire world is. Datasets can seem abstract, but as Adrian rightfully pointed out, data can be so much more meaningful when we remember the story it's telling about the world around us. Adrian and his team hope to share the spectacular world of migrating birds with the public and other researchers with BirdCast, not only to deepen our knowledge of nature, but also in hopes that people will begin to participate. Using BirdCast, if people are able to predict heavy migration nights, they may be inclined to go out the next day in order to track birds the next morning. This is where citizen science comes in. I sat down with one of Adrian's colleagues, Tom Auer, who works on the project eBird. Here, he explains what eBird is, what role open data and machine learning play, and how people like you and me can contribute to the lab's research using our regular cell phones. We have a mobile app that you can start uh, what we call a checklist, so a list of birds that you see. Click start on the app, and um, as you go along, you can enter the counts of the species that you identify. And then you tell us a little bit about how long you were out, how many people you were with. And we can use that information about effort to help standardize the checklists in, in machine learning models. We use machine learning with our citizen science data to help account for the variability in both the occurrence of birds, uh, so where they occur and when they occur on the landscape, as well as understanding the variation in uh, the what we call the detection process or how people find birds. Because every, every person is different. Every birder goes out and does something a little bit different. And so we can use machine learning to basically account for that variation in a way that lets us standardize the information across a broad set of observers, across space, across time. And that lets us create a, a unified, standardized product that fills in the gaps of where people don't go in a way that we couldn't do without machine learning. What are the specific questions that you are approaching in your research that you're looking to find answers to? And what are some of those discoveries that you have made? So with the eBird Status and Trends uh, project, we're really trying to 
produce information, basic information about bird species at a scale we've never done before. And those pieces of information are uh, the distribution, the abundance, how many birds are there, what are the habitat associations, and finally, what are the trends in relative abundance? How are birds changing through time? Uh, by doing this, we can we can address a number of aspects of birds' biology and their life cycle. And what we've we found is that we've we've learned about new migratory routes that we hadn't seen before, especially when we look across groups of species. The exciting part about being able to see these migrations uh, for the first time uh, in live animations is that they they connect people with places through birds. So beautiful bird that has a wonderful song like wood thrush that is in your backyard during the summer, maybe in Maryland or Pennsylvania. It's going to spend the winter in Guatemala. It's going to spend six to eight months down there. Just being able to see that on a map and to think about, you know, where the birds in your backyard go really help connect people to continental scale that uh, they wouldn't be able to otherwise. We wouldn't be able to run these models at the scale that we do unless we had access to AWS and the uh, enormous computing power available there. The, the beauty of open data is that we're then able to make our products available to a really broad audience. Uh, it makes it easy for researchers to pull down species that they're interested in and run uh, additional analyses on. It makes it possible for conservation organizations and practitioners to access the data and make decisions about where to prioritize uh, locations for birds. And there's uh, a, a number of cases like that that are just uh, so much easier and so much faster having our results on open data. We've learned so much about birds while putting this episode together, but Tom really sums it up best. Birds are present in, in pretty much all systems, right? They're in Antarctica as penguins, they're in the open ocean as albatrosses, uh, they're in deserts. By studying these birds, we get real-time indicators of ecological health. We can use this information to really understand how these systems are doing and how we can improve these systems uh, so that we can keep these ecological systems healthy through sustainable practices. Birds are everywhere, and their population numbers, migration patterns and density, and changes in behavior offer varied, nuanced views into how our environment is doing, how successful our conservation methods are, and what we can improve upon in our daily lives, even if it's as simple as turning our lights off during a migration period. To learn more about open data on AWS, visit opendata.aws. Thank you to our guests, Jed, John, Adrian, and Tom. To learn more about their work, visit www.birds.cornell.edu. And for all those awesome bird songs you heard during today's episode, thank you to the team who shared them. The following recordings from the Macaulay Library at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology were referenced. Number 206448, number 107333, and number 219606. And to you, our listeners, a big thank you. If you liked today's episode, please help us spread the word by rating the show, sharing with your friends and family, and subscribing for more stories. Do you have a topic you'd like for us to cover? We want to hear from you. Drop us a note and a review, and we'll catch you on the next one.